Beloved congregation of the Lord, would you turn with me again to Luke in the first chapter, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. As we've been considering this uh, great gospel book of Luke, we have seen that Dr. Luke, by the inspiration of the Spirit, he seeks to give a complete history and account of the birth and incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he does so from the very first, from the very first, he says in the opening verses. This account perhaps drew upon either Mary herself or those who knew her well. There are several indications that in the early days of the Christian church, this woman, Mary, was a woman of very great regard and esteem among the followers of Jesus. The same writer Luke in his other book, The book of Acts says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 on the day of Pentecost, these also continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Surely that would have been a remarkable thing to be a new Christian in the early days of the Christian church of the new covenant and to be worshiping alongside the very mother of the Savior. Indeed, as we considered yesterday, in one sense, the mother of God, the God bearer for the child to whom she gave birth was very God of very God, according to his deity, though that which she gave birth to was a true man, two natures in one person, the blessed Jesus Christ. And where we would consider any portion of these early chapters, that is the great theme that is always in view, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that this is a great gospel theme, which is not only precious to you one day of the year, but indeed every day of the year. If you are a true Christian, here is a warm foundation for your soul to rest upon the coming of the Son of God to be our Redeemer. And it is a theme which the Lord's mother also gives voice to in these verses of what is sometimes called um, the Magnifique, the, the Magnifique. Here we have the special portion of Scripture which testifies, as it does, of the mother, mother of our Lord's own testimony of the meaning of these things. Sometimes it's called a psalm or an early hymn. But indeed, though it is very poetic, there's no indication that she herself 
saying these words. It begins in verse 46, and Mary said. I say it is poetic. You have some of the parallel language of different uh, portions of Hebrew poetry, the Psalms in particular. For example, you notice that uh, the phrase in verse 46 and 47 are very close. So she says, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, referring to the same thing, soul and spirit used interchangeably there. But where uh, indeed it is poetic, we nevertheless deal with it as we should, as a portion of scripture which is for our instruction, for our reproof, for our growth in all righteousness. May the Lord bless this the God-bearer's praise as we consider verses 46 to 48. And we will consider the reason, the object, and the manner. The reason for her praise, the object of her praise, and the manner of her praise. The God-bearer's praise. We'll begin with the reason for You remember, children, as we discussed it last night, there was great reason for her to praise the Lord because, you see, she had just gone through this journey to the city of Hebron there in that hilly, mountainous terrain to the city where the Aaronic priests were. And she has gone to the household of Zacharias to visit with uh, her cousin Elizabeth as her messenger, the angel Gabriel, had told her that she must do. And, and rather than being received with skepticism or scorn or even hostility, being a, a young woman who is pregnant, unmarried, and with, you'll agree, a pretty remarkable tale that some might not even have believed, rather than being received in any of those ways, indeed, it is better than she could have imagined. As soon as she greets Elizabeth, Elizabeth is uh, overcome with the Holy Spirit so that the baby John the Baptist leaps inside her with praise and she herself testifies of the blessing which has been bestowed upon this young woman. Mary doesn't have to explain anything. Indeed, she is received as uh, she is with great love and Rejoicing in what the Lord has done, not only in her life, but in um, the accomplishment of a great salvation for all sinners for all time. And where we see that Elizabeth spoke under the inspiration of the Spirit, there's every reason to think that Mary does as well. Indeed, we have every reason to believe that this young woman was a godly young woman, a woman of faith who surely knew her Bible. But it's also true that while this was drawing upon her own understanding of the scriptures, to some extent, it is especially the word of God by the Holy Spirit that she speaks at this point. And the praise that the Holy Spirit puts upon her lips is of, of the highest uh, sort. It, it is the kind of revelation of the goodness of Christ that deserves our closest attention. And she herself testifies that it's what the Lord has done for her and for sinners that is the reason for her praise. 
She speaks this way in verse 48. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Well, you see, here she is reiterating that the blessing that she has received is the source of this uh, word of praise that she now gives. The angel had said, Hail, thou blessed among women. The uh, cousin Elizabeth had said that she was indeed blessed as well, together with the fruit of her womb. And now she reiterates this. What a unique blessing has been received through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where the law speaks of our condemnation and the curse of our sin, the gospel speaks of blessing. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says, for they shall be comforted. Where we were lying in the midst of death and condemnation by nature, we have received blessing, blessing unspeakable, blessing in this life and the life to come. The blessing of having God as our God and Christ Jesus as our Savior and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This all begins with this little child conceived in this young woman. She indeed was distinguished among all women. So that in the days of Jesus' own ministry as he was teaching and performing miracles... One woman was so impressed by him in Luke chapter 11 that we read these words recorded in Luke 11 verse 27. And it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. This woman says, well, you are such a glorious gift unto the Lord's people, Jesus. There is a unique blessing for the woman who had the honor of bearing you. And Jesus responds in a most interesting way. But he said, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Among whose number surely was Mary, who was uh, certainly a godly woman, though a sinner by nature. Yeah, Jesus includes within this blessing all those who hear the word of God and keep it. A good word for this day where many people are overcome with sentimental and emotional thoughts. And, and so they give themselves unto all sorts of uh, customs from our culture. And yet the real blessing is for those who hear the word of God and keep it in true faith, receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior, in true obedience, keeping to the laws and commandments of the Holy Scriptures. But this blessing, it begins with Christ Jesus himself and his incarnation. This is the true reason why we in Christian liberty gather together to celebrate on this day and to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you notice that this further reason is given by Mary. She says in verse 48, For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. 
For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. I read different commentators to try to understand what is it that Mary is speaking about here, about her low estate. And some commentators say, well, perhaps she, like David before her, had been a very lowly member of her family. Maybe she was the youngest person of her family, or otherwise maybe the least favored by her parents for whatever reason. Maybe she had undergone some kind of affliction or sorrow that she sees in some way remedied by this honor that she now has. It's, it's possible. But if there's that at all in her words, surely the fact that nothing like that is highlighted in Luke's account means that it's not really what we're supposed to be drawn to. Rather, we're to be drawn to the fact that how she, in a way, speaks not only for herself, but for something much bigger than herself. And what might that be? Well, perhaps it's the lowly estate of the house of David. The house of David, of course. You know, the prophet Isaiah spoke of the house of David as sort of a cut-down stump of a tree. And through the sin and rebellion of the kings of Judah, that now it is just a stump or a rump of its former glory. And so Isaiah speaks in Isaiah 11, verses 1 and following, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither approve after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Oh, what a glorious king comes from the line of David in fulfillment with all the promises given to David and to his line. But it was not according to their righteousness, the line of David, no, but according to the promise of God that these things were fulfilled. In their lowly estate, the line of Jesse or the line of David is restored to a glory the likes of which no one could ever fathom, that from their line should come the very Son of God, the Messiah, who would reign over all nations and bring about a perfect salvation. Perhaps so, but perhaps also it is the lowly estate of the whole nation of Israel that people to whom had received all the promises of the Messiah, the one who would come as God blessed forever. As Paul says in his epistle to the Romans. Yet at that time, there was not a great state of the Jewish people. It had fallen under hard times. There was a spiritual darkness over the people of God, given to superstition, to idolatry, to the customs of the Jewish leaders, and so forth. There was a hostility to Jesus Christ when he came in his ministry. Jesus said, Abraham would have rejoiced to see my day. But the children of Abraham did not so rejoice. Indeed, 
There was also a sort of bondage, a bondage that came from the whole unfulfilledness or the unfulfilled character of the old covenant economy, at which the apostle writes in Galatians 4, of which we read that bondage under the elements of the world, speaking of the old covenant in comparison with the new. Galatians 4, verse 3, even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, was made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Not, of course, that these graces of adoption or of the Holy Spirit were entirely absent under the old covenant, but there is a fullness of their expression and a clearness of their uh, coming in, in the days of Christ Jesus after his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and uh, pouring forth of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And yes, after his coming in the flesh, that the apostle can speak in this way, that there is a bondage of those visible ordinances that gives way unto a freedom and a liberty of New Testament worship in its simplicity, in its clearness, in its glory. It is not bound to one people or one ethnicity, but goes forward to all nations. So that in the simplicity of New Testament worship, we worship in spirit and in truth. Perhaps this is something of which she speaks of, the lowly estate of the handmaiden, speaking for all of her people according to the flesh. But surely it was this that was especially prominent. The estate of those under the curse, the curse of the very first parents of the human race. We know that, don't we? There was a unique way in which it was the first woman, the first woman given to Adam there in the garden, who was the occasion of bringing forth death and sin into the world in a sense. It was she who listened to the word of the serpent, who saw that tree in the garden which the Lord had forbidden to be eaten from, seeing it was good to be looked upon, seeing that it would satisfy her cravings of appetite and her yearning to be as God. She takes the fruit of the tree, did eats, and gives to her husband, and he does eat, and so brings curse upon the whole human race. Genesis 3 and verse 16, Jehovah speaks unto the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and the desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed be the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, 
till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken from dust, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. There is indeed a curse that comes upon the woman in her childbearing and unto the man in his toil and in his work, really unto the whole human race, vanity, pain, sickness, and death. And after this life, eternal condemnation in the fires of hell. All this a result of the curse. What a low estate had had the human race been brought upon uh, us by one woman and one man's sin. And now through this, the inception of the new man, the new Adam, Through his coming into the world, there is now a salvation that is as far extended, as far as the curse is found, restoring all things in himself and bringing about a new humanity and a new creation. This is the lowly estate unto which this blessing comes. See what great cause there is for rejoicing. Cause this to permeate into your mind and heart, Christian. Cause something of the grand scope of redemption to be set forth before the eye of faith that you yourself may join in this glorious praise unto our Savior God. And this we see in the second place, the object of this praise, our Savior God. Notice how this is put in verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. There is not one God under the old covenant who is a God who is maybe characterized by the harshness of the law and of judgment, and another God of salvation and grace under the New Testament era. No, there is but one God. One God who is our creator is also our redeemer. The one God who revealed himself through Moses and the prophets is also the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Mary praises unto this God of her fathers and ours, referring to him as the Lord. Jehovah, the God of the covenant, the God who revealed himself through to Moses in the burning bush, saying, whom shall you say has sent you unto my children in bondage in Egypt? Tell them, I am that I am has sent you. The God who has life of himself, who does not depend on anyone or anything, but the God who holds life from his very own existence. He is eternal. He is utterly independent. He is utterly self-existent. And he is the one who created all things. And he is the one who has spoken grace and peace through his covenant unto his people throughout all generations. He is the Lord. And as he is the Lord, he is our master. He is the one who commands our souls. He is the one who commands obedience. He is the one who commands faith. 
He is the one who is worthy of all worship and worthy of all subjection of our hearts and lives and souls and minds. To know Christ Jesus is to be brought into the presence of the almighty king of heaven and earth. It is to have an encounter with the living God. It is this God who Mary worshipped. Do you have a sight of God this morning? Worship, you see, is a serious business. It's not something that we just do as another occasion. It's not something we just do out of tradition. It's not something we do because we feel like it. We do it because God has commanded it. God has required it. And indeed, he commanded it on his day in particular. But also on occasions where we, in our liberty, in our joyous praise that our covenant God come together in that solemn place where the people of God gather for worship according to his word and according to his ordinances to call upon his holy name. This is the true heart of praise. One that's not fashioned according to our own wills and our own imaginations, but according to the word and the will of God. Where you have been touched in your heart by the great salvation, being brought up from the lowest state of sin and misery, it is this that your heart yearns for in true gratitude to praise your God in thanksgiving. Is this where your heart is this morning? Is indeed it ultimately about this, that you would desire to know God? Well, you notice as well this name, she uses God, my Savior. How glorious it is that we may not speak about God in the abstract, as though he was some far distant deity to be known by the philosophers or maybe the professional theologians? No. Every Christian has access through the throne of grace and the person of Jesus Christ unto God the Father. God our Savior. God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God. And this one God who is a God of salvation. The Savior. The one who redeems from sin and condemnation, is my Savior in Jesus Christ, received in true faith, received by the outpouring of the Spirit's work in ourselves. This is spoken of here. And surely none can speak of God my Savior except they recognize their need for a Savior. You know, it's... Shocking that some people have even spoke of an immaculate conception. What is an immaculate conception? Well, the immaculate conception is not the belief that Jesus was born without sin. That is indeed a biblical teaching. The Roman Catholic Church teaches of an immaculate conception in this way, that in order for Jesus to be born without sin, Mary herself must also be without sin. That's technically what the immaculate conception means. And so this is something that not only is completely foreign to the word of God, it's something that men invented through their own imagination. It's also flatly contrary to the word of God because Mary speaks of God as my savior. 
And surely Mary was no exception. She had to be humbled to this point as well, that she recognized her need for a Savior. It is a knowledge that anyone must come to if they would lay hold of the salvation in Christ. For how can anyone come to Christ in faith except they see their need for salvation? But it is not a knowledge that we ever surpass or grow out of. Every day we are only as we ever were and ever shall be. Those who are but creatures who are in ourselves worthy of the wrath of God have now been brought nigh through the grace of Jesus Christ. It is that consciousness that we by nature are sinners that brings us again and again to our knees to pray unto this God, to confess our sins, to apply every day unto the blood and redemption of Christ Jesus. It is this that fuels true worship that is acceptable unto our God. May this be what characterizes you, dear one. May this be what fills your mind on this morning hour as well, that God is a God of salvation also unto us. And he offers and promises his grace unto all who shall receive it according to the terms of his gospel covenant. But we notice this in the third place, the manner the manner of this praise, and it's worth paying attention to, isn't it? Not only the one she greets, but the way she praises him. There in verses um, 46 and 47, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And this is why this portion of Scripture is called the Magnifique, the Latin for magnify. And I love what Pastor Cranendonk used in one of his sermons that I listened to some time ago, where he speaks of a magnifying glass. Children, you have one of these, don't you, at home? You have one of those magnifying glasses. You bring it uh, before your eyes, and maybe you look at just a tiny little bug. You, you bring that magnifying glass, and you look at it, and that tiny little bug, doesn't it now look as, as big as a mouse? Because you've, you've used it exactly in this way to make it look so huge. Well, that bug doesn't actually get any bigger itself, but to your perception, to your mind and to your eye, that looks like a, a very big bug. Well, if that is oh, the basic idea of, of magnifying, to our perception growing and enlarging, what is this speaking of the praise of, of Mary and of all children of God? It is this, that when we praise God, we testify that he is glorious. We testify that his grace is magnificent. We testify of not only who he is, but what he has done for us and for all sinners in Christ Jesus. And in this way, that glory which God possesses of himself of eternity, which can neither be enlarged or enhanced to our perception. It, it is set forth and rendered more glorious to the perception of his creatures. This is why we exist upon the earth, why the Lord has not yet brought us home unto heaven, because we have a purpose in this life, and it is magnifying the Lord, magnifying Jehovah God. It's in parallel, isn't it, to that Word where it says, my spirit 
hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Where we magnify the Lord and, and set forth his glories in our praise, in our obedience, in our faith, in our words, in our actions. We do so with hearts that delight in him. It is not pleasing to the Lord where you just go through the motions, where you do something out of habit. No, even where it is commanded by God, it is pleasing unto God when with sincere hearts, filled with thanksgiving and gratitude, we seek to obey God from the heart, where we seek to magnify him. Oh, isn't it sometimes discouraging, child of God? You wish there was so much more rejoicing in your soul. Indeed, you wish that you had more of a perception of Christ's glory and the glory of God the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life so you could praise him unhindered by so many of your doubts and fears, temptations and sins. Oh, it will be a glorious day where all these things are removed, where faith becomes sight, and we can sin no more, for we are in the presence of the King forever in the new heavens and the new earth. But even now, may we not yearn for and press for and strive for, but a taste of heaven in the here and now. May we not seek to have Christ Jesus sanctified in our hearts on this day, so that as we have more of a perception of him, he fills our hearts with more of a sense of that rejoicing, of that gladness. That is the true blessing of the Son of God, which he gives not only this day, but every day where we apply unto him with all of our hearts. Oh, dear people of God, here is the beginning of a song, or should we say a a word of praise. And I would put to you that this is something that we, each one of us, must strive for, that we, each one of us, must treasure to whatever extent we can attain unto it in this life. All praise be unto our glorious Savior God. Amen. <laughs>